Great. Awesome. Well, Simon just preached my sermon, so let's pray. No, but actually, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the love that is present in this room in all its various forms and expressions. Lord, we love that you love us, and we're grateful for your love. God, you get permission in our lives to define what love looks like, and so we look to you now as the embodiment of love and as the one who loves us perfectly. Would you help us? Would you teach your children how to be more loving like our Heavenly Father? We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so like Simon said, we're going to talk about love for the next eight weeks. And it, that maybe sounds a little bit, <clears throat> I don't know, generic. Like really, we're going to talk about, doesn't everybody like kind of know what that is? And we talk about it all the time. And what, what, like it sounds a little bit basic, a little bit maybe uh, like something we assume we already know or learned when we were young or that's already kind of like we've got locked down. Um, and, and in some ways that's true, right? Like Simon said, I don't think anyone would disagree that love is the main thing, Right? Love appears to be like a really important deal to God. When Jesus said, uh, when Jesus was asked what is the most important commandment, he said, oh yeah, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, the second commandment is actually attached to that one. So you asked me for one, but I'm going to give you two. The second, the most important thing to remember is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says love of God and love of others actually defines what it means to be human, to be his followers, to be his people. And, and, and love looms large in the scriptures. If you read in the New Testament, you cannot read a New Testament letter of the early church fathers and mothers writing to the church and expressing how to live out the way of Jesus. You cannot read a New Testament letter without coming across extensive passages on what it means to be a person of love. And so it's important for us to just like pause and recognize how central it is. It's almost so central. Love is almost so central to what it means to be human and what it means to be a person of faith in Jesus that we can almost miss it for how pervasive it is. Right? Like love is meant to define, transform, and actually like permeate every aspect of our lives and our relationships. Love is the defining characteristic. Jesus himself said, people will know that you are my people because of the way that you love. The defining characteristic of the family of God. And I think it's important that we stop and like look at this because um, so often, we, we use the word love to define a lot or to describe lots of different things in our lives. We use it to describe both emotions and actions. We use it to describe various relationships in our lives. We use it to describe a feeling that we get when we have a certain kind, a certain kind of encounter. We use it to describe God and to describe others. Occasionally, we use it to describe like our favorite snack or our favorite sport, sports team right? And love can have all these different kind of meanings in our lives. But when the Bible talks about love, it talks about something actually really specific. And what I have come to realize as I've been preparing for this sermon series with Simon and thinking through these things is that um, sometimes my ideas or my assumptions, I'll say that, my assumptions about what love is are actually different from the thing that the Bible is talking about when it talks about love. 
Um, so often, I'll, I'll begin with something pretty simple, right? So often, I think we view love as this sort of mysterious emotional force, this like sense of affection or feeling that draws me towards another person, right? I had this experience yesterday where I spent several hours with my nephews, and if you know me, you know I'm pretty obsessed with my nephews. So I was, I was hanging out with three of them, um, and uh, Uncle Ben came over, which meant it's time to wrestle for three hours on the trampoline, and it was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. Like, they were having the best time, lots of laughter. You know, it was a sunny day yesterday, and I just remember, <laughs> I just remember being drenched in sweat, laying on this trampoline with children climbing on top of me and going, I love these boys like this is love this is love this feels like love and then I woke up this morning and I couldn't move my neck and I was like this du- this no longer feels like love like yesterday I thought I loved those boys today I'm- I don't think I love them so much like it's- so this feeling of love may- may- maybe that's part of it maybe this like affection that draws me towards another person that's part of it but the Bible um, when it talks about something very specifically called love and defines it very specifically it actually doesn't tend to talk much about feeling at all which is a little bit alarming for me to be honest I think sometimes we uh, we think about love and we have this idea that love is just to make someone else happy right um, which, oh, sure, it can kind of be a part of what it means to love somebody well, to care about their well-being and their happiness. But um, as I sort of consider that, I think through that, and I, I realize that if, if, if I had been raised with a love, my parents had decided to raise me with a love where their goal was to make me happy, um, I would be in a world of trouble today. Okay, so maybe that's part of it, like a desired happiness for the beloved is part of loving, but is that the whole thing? Is that the specific, very well-defined thing that the Bible means when it talks about love? I don't know. Sometimes we think about uh, love as like a desire to be with a person, right? Like, I love that person, so I desire to be near them. It's like love is desire, right? And, and, and I, I can sort of see that to be true because if I have affection for someone, I want to be near them. But then I start to encounter weird things in the Bible where Jesus says, love your enemies. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be close to them. I don't want to have dinner with them on a Friday night. Like, no way. But Jesus says, well, that's actually part of what love is, is to love your enemies. So in some way, it could include desire to be with the beloved, but it has to be in some way more than that. And I think sometimes uh, we get so confused or so lost or so the idea of love gets so nebulous, so ethereal, so abstract that in the end we just say, you know what, love is personally just what I decide it is. And my definition of love might be different than Jacob's, might be different than Hannah's, might be different than Simon's. Like my definition of love is what love is, right? Right? And I think that's kind of where most of us tend to land, is like, I know what love feels like for me. I know what love is like in my world. I know how love plays out in my life. And so I am sort of going to define love. And yet, if we in any way believe that the scriptures are a divine word from God with any authority in our lives, we begin to read them. And as they talk about love, which is like all the time. As they talk about love, they are talking about something very specific. 
And if I am a follower of Jesus and, and out of fidelity to him, I choose to like pay attention to the Bible, then I have to admit that maybe I don't get to define what love looks like. And maybe love doesn't conform to my ideals. Maybe I conform to the ideals of love. And I, I begin to realize that I have a lot to learn when it comes to love. And if you don't see that in your own life yet, that you have like some things to learn, some challenges to overcome when it comes to loving well, um, maybe pray for a revelation from the Spirit. Because to be honest, I think every single one of us in this lifelong journey to love well has ways to grow. Especially when we encounter the specific, powerful life-changing, transformational thing that the Bible describes as love. So we're going to spend the next eight weeks going through a really famous passage in the Scriptures that describes love, and we're just sort of going to sort of introduce the topic today and begin to imagine what love might look like in our community, in our lives, in our relationship with God and others. You guys with us? Let's do it. So we're going to, obviously, if you know the Bible, we're going to, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And if that wasn't obvious to you, that's great, because you're going to get real familiar with this passage. And it's great if it's new to you. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 13, it's not a very long passage. And if you've ever been to any kind of religious wedding, you've probably heard this passage quoted before. And it's actually in the context of Paul talking about how we live as a community with one another. And so uh, for Paul, he's not primarily describing romantic love. He's describing the love that we have in the body of Christ, which can include romantic love, can include all the Valentine's Day stuff. That, it's all part of it, but it's actually much, much bigger than that. And I'm actually going to read, y'all, is this okay? Can I read this entire chapter? It's 13 verses. Can I do it? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I'll do voices. I won't do voices. Okay. I will not. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away the things of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, 
then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul really wants to highlight this idea of love. He really wants us to pay attention. And he begins to cut through some of our spiritual jargon to do it. At the beginning of the chapter, right, he says, if I have prophecies and I can speak in tongues and I have all these spiritual gifts, but I have not love, then it is pointless. Like, I am nothing, he says. I gain nothing. I'm just a noisemaker, right? That's all I am if I have all these spiritual gifts without love. And that might resonate with us a little bit, especially if we're, like, really into the spiritual gifts that might really, like, resonate with us. But I know that for a lot of us, like, the spiritual gifts are important and it's something we think about, the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, like tongues and prophecy and these things, right? But I know for a lot of us, we tend to have different things that we think of as primary markers of spiritual maturity, See, what Paul is talking about here is, I know you think if you have the ability to speak or to pray in tongues, that makes you spiritually mature. But careful, because that's not what makes you spiritually mature. mature. Love is. And I know if you think like, man, I can get words from God and speak the truth of God and I have the prophetic gift, I must be spiritually mature. And he's like, careful, careful. Prophecy and the ability to, to speak the knowledge of God, that's not what makes you spiritually mature. Love is. Right? He's redefining what it means to be like a spiritual grown-up. And for me, like, I didn't really grow up with the manifestations of the Spirit being a big part of my, my spiritual life. And so I, and maybe you, maybe others in this room, came up with some other things that I was like, oh, that's a marker of spiritual maturity. That's a marker of being a grown-up Christian. So um, I wrote my own. Can I read you some of these ones? These are for, these are, for sure these aren't for you, but these are for me. Okay. I wrote my own versions of the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Not that, not that what I say is scripture, right? But this is how it might sound for me if Paul was talking to me. So, so uh, again, these, these are just my issues. If I have healthy boundaries and work-life balance and a great counselor but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I've read all the books and studied the faith, and understand how life with Jesus ought to go, and have incredibly godly habits, practices, and life hacks, but I have not love, then I am nothing. I'm confessing to you guys, okay? These are how I tend to think about spiritual maturity. If I'm widely loved, if people want to be around me, if I have achieved community, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Those are some of my marks of spiritual maturity. What are yours? If I have a lot of scripture memorized, if I serve in church, if I get over all of my addictions and unhealthy behaviors, and Paul is warning us, he's saying, don't place your hope for spiritual maturity for spiritual wholeness and well-being in the wrong things. Now, let's be clear. Are the spiritual gifts of prophecy and tongues and all the things he lists, are these good things? Absolutely. Read the first part of 1 Corinthians. He's into it, you guys. He loves when the Spirit is poured out on his people. Is anything I just listed a negative thing? Absolutely not. Community is excellent. Good counselor, awesome. Please get one, right? 
All these things are actually really beautiful things. But if I'm looking to those to say, see, I know how to follow Jesus. Look at my practices. Look at my beliefs. Look at my understanding. Look at my doctrine. Look at my whatever else. Paul is saying, careful. Don't put the cart before the horse. Careful. Those things, rather than being evidence or uh, rather than being the way that I know that I am the, a, a spiritual, spiritually mature person, a true disciple of Christ, what he's saying is those, are, those actually should be the things that come after I'm already deeply in with Christ, right? These are results rather than the way that I achieve a certain thing. So what he's saying basically is don't look to your spiritual whatever, your spiritual markers, your spiritual practices as signs that you are in with Jesus. Instead, take a look at where love plays out in your life. Instead, let love define where you are on your journey. Instead, let love lead you forward. Instead, let all the spiritual practices and all the spiritual gifts and all the manifestations of the Spirit and all the counseling and all the learning and all the studying and all the community, let it flow out of love because love is primary. Did you notice what he said at the end of 1 Corinthians 13? He said, these three things remain. Faith, hope, wow, those are awesome things. I I really want to deepen my faith. I really want to practice hope and be a person defined by hope. And then he says, and love, and the greatest of all three of these is love. So for Paul, he's saying love is what defines me. It's what animates me. It's what moves me forward. And he he really helpfully, right, is not just using the word love and giving us no definition. He's like, okay, 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 okay. Before we start saying, well, I'm a loving person. Well, I know what love means for me. It might not mean that for you, but I know what it means for me. Well, I I, I have some vague idea of what love means. Well, I, I know what it feels like to love a person. Well, I know whatever love, when I encounter love, I know what that feeling is inside of me. So instead of giving us permission to just define love however he will, we will. He stops in the middle. He stops in the middle. And he says, oh, by the way, it's important that you know that love is patient and kind, that it doesn't envy or boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it defines love for us. And that's kind of, that core section is what Simon and I are going to spend the next several weeks going through. What is love actually, what does it mean to be patient and kind? And if that's a definition, a defining characteristic of love, like how do we do that? How do we get that? How do we find that? And see, what we're going to find as we look through all these attributes of love, this is really, really, really important. So please, if you hear one thing, hear this, okay? As Paul describes these attributes of love, maybe you're like me and you start to go, oh, shoot. Oh, I might be unloving. Oh, no. And that, that's probably not necessarily a bad feeling unless it leads, leads to some, like, unhealthy self-hatred and shame, right? But when Paul describes love, he is describing the children of God and how the children of God ought to behave, but he's primarily describing the one from whom love comes. What does he talk, talk about in the first part of the chapter? The spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit of God, the gifts of the Spirit, things given to us by God. And he says, if I have prophecy, 
but I don't have love. Wait, what's he saying? He's saying, if I got this lesser gift from the Spirit, but missed the bigger gift from the Spirit. Wait, wait, wait. If I got tongues, which is a gift, but a lesser gift of the Spirit, but missed love, which is a greater gift of the Spirit, for Paul, love and the ability to love is a gift from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. For Paul, love begins with Jesus Christ. For Paul, this list first and foremost describes who God is before it describes who we ought to be. So if you immediately start to feel like, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I can't love, oh no, 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 I'm not patient, I'm not kind, what am I going to do? What we're going to try to do all eight weeks long, right, Simon, we talked about this? Did did I imagine this? I think we talked about this. Is we're going to look at where these attributes appear in God, in Christ, and how that can actually transform us. You know, Paul says elsewhere in one of his letters, in the second Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, he says elsewhere that as we behold the glory of Christ, we are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. What does that mean? It means if we want to become in the likeness of Christ, we want to be transformed into his likeness, we want to like become like Jesus, we behold his glory, which, which means that if we want to become loving people, in the way that Jesus is loving, we better spend some time looking at Jesus' love, right? We better spend some time beholding the glory of his love and allowing that to transform us. So this next eight weeks is not beating ourselves over the head. You should be more loving. You should be more loving. You should be more loving. And then when somebody tries to talk to us, we're like, shut up. I'm trying to be more loving, right? That's, that's not what this is. This is not a spiritual, like, white-knuckling, like, we're going to make it through, Right? What we're actually going to do is see how God embodies and defines love. And as we behold it, as we mull it over, as we taste what that is like, we're going to trust that through the power of his Holy Spirit, he's going to make us patient and kind. Make us people who don't envy or boast. Make us people who don't hold a record of wrongs against others. So I think um, today, what might just be helpful for us to, to think about, I'm not going to go through specific traits. We're going to save that for next week. Simon can get us started on patient and kind and all these things, right? But, um, but I just want to point out a couple of things that I don't see in this chapter. <laughs> it's helpful, um, I think, in a world that we, we, where we live and that has really influenced the way I think about love uh, to, to recognize what the Bible doesn't mean when it means, when it says love, right? To really recognize, like, if we're going to define love together, um, to really first think about how might I mis- be, be misconceiving love, okay? And, and, and I'm, I got three ideas on that, and then we're just going to land by just co- sort of gazing at the love of God together, and then that'll set us up really well for next week, I think. Yeah? You guys down? Okay. So the first thing that I don't see in here, we kind of already touched on this and mentioned this, but the first thing that I don't see in this whole chapter is any mention of a, of a good feeling or a sense of affection. I don't, I, di- I can't find it. Like, I, there's no, I don't see anything that says love is primarily an emotion or like that love is a feeling I get towards another person or towards God. Can, can love produce feelings? Probably. But, but Paul doesn't seem to say, like, like okay, uh, if you don't have love, but you have all these other things, then you gain nothing. And by the way, love is that warmth in your heart that you feel that makes you do things like remember Valentine's Day, 
That makes you, that makes you, some of you, I already heard from a couple people today, like, wait, Valentine's Day is this week? Yes, it is. Uh, Love is that feeling that you get when you see your favorite person walk in the room. Love is the warm and fuzzy, cozy feeling you get spending an evening with your favorite people, your beloveds. Like, I I don't see that in here. Not not that that's bad, right? But I don't see any, anything in here that seems to, uh, define love in terms of how I feel. And this is really important because sometimes, we all know this, don't we? Sometimes I'm convinced that what I feel for somebody is love and then I find out it was something else, right? This is the story of so many relationships that go sour. I, 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 I felt something and I defined that feeling as what love means. And when that feeling vanished, I realized that what I was calling love was actually something else, Right? conversely, sometimes I don't feel loved, and it turns out I am still receiving love, right? This is also really important, because if love is dependent on my feelings, half the time I don't feel loved, but there are still people loving me. Or, this is really important if you're a parent, because, man, I did not feel loved by my parents sometimes, because they didn't let me do the stuff that I wanted to do, and I realized as I grew up and became an adult and put away childish things, as Paul says, that actually my parents were loving me really well by not letting me do this or that or that, right? So, so that's actually good news, that Paul's like, uh, love isn't based on a feeling. I don't, I don't see any mention of a feeling in here. The other thing I don't see in here is any mention of love as a means of changing or controlling other people. Um, so I don't see any sense in here, like, if I love somebody, I possess them in some way, and I own them in some way. So often, um, what I, this, I'm confessing again, when I have that surge of affection and feeling for another person, what I discover underneath that feeling is a desire that they conform to my ideas, my personality, my likes and dislikes, my priorities. And I don't see that in here anywhere, that like my love, I actually don't see any mention that my love changes another person. I think God's love changes people. But I don't see anything in there where it says, like, my love will automatically transform that person. And, and, and uh, th- you, guys know the name, you guys know the name Thomas Merton? You guys ever heard of Thomas Merton? Thomas Merton is a, a famous uh, mystic from the 20th century, a deep, deep thinker, spent the last several years of his life uh, as a hermit in, in, uh, in a monastery out in Kentucky. And he, um, he was kind of like uh, mid-century, mid-20th century. And he... Um, he had just profound things to say about love, profound. And one of his most profound statements that he made about love, I'm going to paraphrase because it's a little bit of a complex statement. I'm going to paraphrase. Basically what he says if, is, if I love another person with any demands on who they must become in order to deserve my love, then I'm not loving that person. I'm loving the reflection of myself that I see in that person. And, and that to me is like, oh, no. I need to rethink, like, if I'm defining love as a feeling of affection, are there relationships and places in my life where under that feeling of affection is a demand that somebody change and conform to my ideas, to my priorities, to my culture? Is, is, is there some demand underneath? See, in, in, this, in this passage we read in 1 Corinthians 13, I don't see any mention of love changing or, or, or automatically changing another person. And so in some way, love has to let that go in order to really be what the Bible's talking about when it talks about love. Huh, interesting. Cool, cool, cool. Let's move on. 
The other thing I don't see in here, notice that we begin, I already mentioned this, but we get, begin with the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is at work among his people. That's our starting place. The Spirit of God is at work among his people. That is where we begin our journey learning about love. Yeah? Love, in this chapter, seems to not be of human origin. It seems to be initiated by one who is God, (laughs) by the divine, and it seems to actually outlive all things human, right? It says where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. But love will remain. These three things endure, it says, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. These three things not only are pre-human, they are also like they last beyond all that we think of as human. Not only are these things initiated by God before any of us ever even had an inkling of being aware and alive in the world, but they also outlast every human institution, even every spiritual gift. These things actually outlive all that we hold most dear which tells me love is not of human origin. Love is something so much bigger and farther and fuller and beyond what I tend to think of in my day-to-day life. And thank goodness for that, that love, capital L love, is not dependent on just me and not just dependent on how well we do at loving each other. Because there will be days, my friends, when the world will not be able to tell that we are Jesus' followers by our love for one another. And thank God that that doesn't mean love has lost. Thank God that love still wins. That love still conquers death. Because love is not of human origin. It originates, is sustained by God. From now through all of eternity. The other New Testament writers talk about this a lot. Famously, the, the Apostle John, who described himself in the book of John as the disciple Jesus loved. So love's kind of a big deal for him, right? And he writes in 1 John. 1 John's nickname is the letter of love. It's a love letter. Happy Valentine's Day. Okay? And in 1 John chapter 4, he really gets down to brass tacks with love. Look at verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. This is the Apostle John. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. Love originates and is sustained by God. Love is not of human origin. And the one who lives in that love, the very specific defined love that the scriptures talk about, the one who lives in that love is living in God. Wait, what? So like are love and God indistinguishable? Well, let's jump down to verse 16. It says, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We know and rely. We, we, we've investigated. We know it. We know this love. We've experienced it, and we rely on it in all of our interactions, even our efforts to be more loving. On this love that God has for us, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God is love. And it, that can, oh, I don't know, kind of make us kind of nervous for a second. Like, what's, what's he going to say? Is Ben going to say that like anywhere you have the warm, fuzzy love feelings, anywhere you have the deep, passionate love, like that is automatically godly? Well, that's not what it says. It doesn't say love, as I define love, is God. Love is my ultimate. 
It says, God is love, which means if I want to learn love and live in love and for love and with love, I need to go where? To God. If I want to know what love is, I look where? At God. You want to know love? God is love. Look at who God is. And this is really valuable. It would be so sad if I did not talk about the love of God in our first sermon on love. Because my love for others only originates, right? What does it say? Love is from God. My love for others, for anyone, even my love for God himself only happens because I receive that love from God. God is the fountain of love at the center of reality, and there is no other source of love. There isn't one. So if I want to love, I have to get near God, in God, close to God. I have to be with God. I have to be open to God so that he can begin to show me what love means. Because if love means anything, it means God. It means who this God is. And this is so great because once I recognized this, I remember, oh, yeah, the scriptures like, are just packed with descriptions of God's love. In fact, the scriptures, I don't know if this is totally like accurate, but it's, this is anecdotal evidence. I was like racking my brain, and I'm pretty sure the Bible talks about God's love more than it talks about what my love should be. The love of God looms very large in Scripture. And sometimes in certain Christian cultures, we can get a little nervous about overemphasizing, quote-unquote, the love of God and not emphasizing enough his justice and his wrath, to which the Scriptures reply, the love of God does loom large. The love of God is the defining characteristic of who he is. The scriptures feel no such uneasiness about the danger of overemphasizing the love of God. For the scriptures to emphasize the justice and the wrath of God is important because it also helps define the love of God. For, for the scriptures, the love of God looms very large. And we see this from like beginning of the Bible on through the end. So when, when God reveals his character... When God reveals his name to Moses, Moses is like, please, let me see, let me see your glory, let me know your name, and God's like, well, you can, you can, you can see the back of me, but if you were to see me face to face, it would overwhelm you and kill you, so I'm going to hide you in a cleft of the rock, and the, my glory will pass by, and as my glory pass by, passes by, it will declare my name, and you know what his name is that he declares to Moses? He says this, it says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, maintaining love to a thousand generations. And he will, be, he will by no means sweep sin under the rug, it says. And almost he says that as an afterthought for those of us who like squirm, <laughs> for those of us who are like, oh, it's too much love. Like, what about wrath? Oh, no. Right? God's like, I'm taking care of it. I'm taking care of it. I will by no means just sweep sin under the rug. I'm taking care of it. But don't forget, I'm compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, maintaining love to a thousand generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That is who God himself reveals himself to be. And that is what John means when he says God is love. God is that. 
And it just continue, the scriptures continue to highlight the love of God. David in the Psalms declares, almost like he can't help himself, blurts out. He says, your love, O Lord, is better than life. Like than being alive. Like your love is better than breath in my lungs. Your love is more animating than the blood flowing through my veins. Like your love is better than life. And on and on through the scriptures, Jesus himself says, he defines like, why am I here? Oh, that's easy. Because God so loved the world. Like all, like all of them. Like even the ones you don't like. Like even the ones that don't want anything to do with God. Like even the most evil, wicked, rebellious people. Why am I here? Because I love them. The scriptures describe the love of God in almost uncomprehending terms. God himself defines love. And if we want to become loving the way that 1 Corinthians 13 describes, we want to become loving, the best place I think we can start is to gaze upon the love of God. To understand what is your love like? Not not what do I think it is. What is your love like? And if you're not a touchy-feely emotional person like I am, great. Because you won't necessarily get lost in the emotional weeds and go, I guess I'm only really understanding the love of God if I like, feel tingles and feel really warm and fuzzy. You'll, 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 you'll be able to sort of move past that. And if you are a really touchy-feely person, kind of like me, great. Because you'll have an intuitive, emotional response to this love that hopefully erupts in worship. God defines, sustains, and carries forward love. If we want to know what love is, we gaze upon, get close to, get inside love. Can I end my sermon in the worst possible way? Um, as I was thinking about the love of God and who God is, I thought of this quote from um, A.W. Tozer. Anyone know Tozer? Oh, yes. Jared does. Um, A.W. Tozer has an essay called God is Easy to Live With. And um, the first four paragraphs, it's about this long, are worth quoting in full. So can I end my sermon with, like, a long quote? I st I'm still not going to do voices. But just listen to how Tozer describes what God is like. He says this, from a, failure to, uh, from a failure to properly understand God comes a world of unhappiness among good Christians even today. The Christian life is thought to be a glum unrelieved cross-carrying under the eye of a stern father who expects much and excuses nothing. He is austere, peevish, highly temperamental, and extremely hard to please. The kind of life which springs out of such libelous notions must of necessity be but a parody on the true life in Christ. It is most important to our spiritual welfare that we hold in our minds always a right conception of God. If we think of him as cold and exacting, we shall find it impossible to love him, and our lives will be ridden with servile fear. If again we hold him to be kind and understanding, our whole inner life will mirror that idea. Oh, wow, we're going to become more loving if we understand the love of God. Wow. The truth is that God is the most winsome of all beings. And his service is one of unspeakable pleasure. He is all love. And those who trust in him need, need never fear, need never know anything but that love. 
He is just indeed, and he will not condone sin, but through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he is able to act toward us exactly as if we had never sinned. Toward the trusting sons of men, his mercy will always triumph over justice. The fellowship of God is delightful beyond all telling. He communes with his redeemed ones in an easy, uninhibited fellowship that is restful and healing to the soul. He is not sensitive or selfish nor temperamental. What he is today, we shall find him tomorrow and the next day and the next year. He is not hard to please, though he may be hard to satisfy. He expects of us only what he himself has first supplied. Let me pray. God, thank you that when you invite us to become more loving, you initiate by loving us first. And you give us the means by which we can love you and others better. Pour your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you captivate us afresh with a vision of your unspeakable love for us, indescribable goodness to us. And as we mull that over this week, would that just make us more loving? And over the next eight weeks, Jesus, as we look at specifically what love means and how it's defined, would you reveal things in our hearts that need to be revealed? And would you, re- would you treat those moments of conviction with great tenderness and woo us, win us into a more loving, a more loving and generous life? We love you, Jesus. We're grateful for your word. Amen.